0: Welcome to the Determined People podcast. Cheryl Williams is a survivor of physical, emotional, sexual, and spiritual abuse, but she's also a fighter. She has dedicated her life to being a champion for kids in foster care. Uh, Cheryl herself was put in foster care as a teenager, as was her sister earlier than that. She'll share that with you, and then she'll tell you a little bit about what the odds are for for foster kids doing well in this in this world? So, welcome to the show, Cheryl. I'm glad you're here.
1: Thank you so much. It's an honor to be on your podcast.
0: So, share with us a little bit about your life growing up.
1: Yeah, I mean, you already mentioned it. It was different a different childhood than most had. As one of my earliest memories was my sister going into foster care, and I actually saw her being mistreated my mom pushing her against the wall, calling her bad names. I mean, I didn't really understand what was going on, but I called 911 as like a five-year-old. And then there was a lot of court hearings and counseling sessions and my sister putting, being moved in and out of our home and, until there was a point in which I just didn't see her anymore by the time I was about six years old. and, and um, And I was actually separated from her then for 25 years until she contacted me as an adult. So... It, um, that was a difficult childhood. I dealt was a lot of grief, almost like a sibling dying only. I think it was even harder because it wasn't talked about. Um, we weren't allowed to talk about abuse. We weren't allowed to talk about my sister. So it was like, she just vanished. I didn't know how she was. And, um, and then the abuse started with me as soon as my sister was gone out of the house.
0: Mm-hmm. Had to be tra- trauma. I mean, that's trauma at a, at a young age. And but you knew enough to call nine one one. That's that's uh, pretty remarkable actually for a five year old child. Um what was it like when your sister reconnected with you?
1: Oh my gosh. So I had told pretty much all my best friends my whole life that when they'd asked what my dream was, my dream didn't used to be to advocate for foster kids. It was simply just to know my sister because I mean I didn't think I'd ever see her again. I didn't know she was alive. I know she really valued her privacy and was really scared of our parents. And so she just changed her social security number. She was just completely untraceable. The rest of my family members had tried. And I was like, well, if there's one thing I know about her is she wants her privacy. So I wasn't going to try to find her. And so when this um, it was under a different name. She contacted me on Facebook saying <laughs> she was my sister. I was like, ha ha, you know, which number of my friends are playing a cool joke on me today. And um, so I was asking her some security questions. And you know, kids with trauma don't remember a lot of this stuff. It was amazing how I remembered everything about her as a kid. But she didn't remember these things so she couldn't really pass the security things and I'm like, Mhm and so she was like, I'm gonna email you and um so I was like, Do you have any pictures? And she's like, No, mom didn't let me take any pictures with you have pictures and I so I sent her actually some pictures um, well, after she did have to answer at least a couple of questions, like who was the night, you know, <laughs> like, come on, you have to know the answers to some but when she actually did have she sent me pictures of what her and her family were like by email, I started just crying so hard that this wasn't just a joke that this was like this reunion I'd waited all my life for. And um, then I, I flew in to Pennsylvania so my family could meet hers. And it was almost like we've, we've always been, like, long-lost twin sisters. They're six years apart. But she has two kids, too. She was doing CASA. That's what I was doing when she connected with me, too. She had no clue. Like, I would, I, we just were, like, twins separated from birth. I always felt like I was living in her shadow. People would even call me her sometimes if they didn't really know the story of how she just kind of vanished and stuff. So, yeah, I mean, so I have still still mourned sometimes that I have all these years without my beloved sister because she was my best friend growing up. But it is kind of neat to um, know the emotional high of reconnecting with this person who was like your best friend. And she's the only person in the world that truly understands, you know, our unique family dynamic and story.
0: Mm -hmm. You know, and that would be a really cruel joke for somebody to play on you also. That that just shocks me that 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 would even even come up. But but, uh, so are you all still close? Do you you speak often?
1: Um, I just emailed her the other day and and she responded right away uh, with um, what they've been up to. They have some health problems going on with her kids and stuff, but she is, um, yeah, I'm so lucky to have her. She's a very loving person. She always has been, so I have nothing but wonderful memories. I hope she hears this, even because she's so worthy of all the the praise in the world. I know that her aunt has gone through so much, but it is so amazing when people can kind of put aside all the trauma of like our early experience were very painful for us. So we don't really want to go back to that, but it is our roots that connects us. And um, the reason I thought somebody could play a cool joke is because like I said, my family members, I have a lot of extended relatives to them all knew I was close with her and she didn't want to talk to anybody else so they thought if she was going to contact anybody she would contact me and I just felt like maybe you know I I have some siblings too who wanted to connect with her and it's just like if they were kind of feeling for information it if I knew her you know I talked to her and stuff and and pretend. so I, I could see that happening because she really is somebody that um is kind of like <laughs> a little stalked by family members so i was so honored that she did take that chance and she said she was watching me on facebook for a while to make sure i wasn't in correspondence with our biological parents and stuff so which i wasn't (laughs) they're not safe people sure
0: sure so you became a target after your sister was sent to foster care but um you know what what was life like growing up for you
1: I became a really shy, private kid. I was so confused because my dad would make these comments, if anybody does what your sister does, which he thought is just betrayed him, (laughs) that it would be so much worse. And he said this while he was cutting with a knife, like a really large knife straight to me as a child. And this was like the night after he he fondled me. And um, so he would kind of sit me down anytime that a school counselor would pull me out of school and ask if there was anything going on and he try to try to prep me of what I should say and um it was just I didn't really trust to talk to anybody at the school either because I mean the thing that people don't really think of, of what it's truly really like to be either a foster kid or abused kid is that you are standing on your own two feet you don't You don't come into this world with really anybody you can trust, so you don't know if it's in your best interest to talk to a school counselor who tells you they have to report anything that you say and that you could get moved from your home. They actually have to tell you that, so I kept my mouth shut because the stories that my dad would tell me about my sister were that she was being raped like every day in foster care, and she's a liar, and I mean, he ruined her reputation, and I just wanted to live as peaceful of a life as possible, kind of stay out of trouble. I thought if I was an angel, he couldn't maybe ruin my reputation with family members. And so I really just was, it really encouraged me to just be a straight A student, to stay out of trouble, you know, and, and so I felt like there was a lot of pressure on me that if I made a mistake, if I wasn't this perfect child, I could be out on the streets, I could be, you know, like it would. I, I was a very stressed kid, but I didn't even realize it because I was pretty much all I ever knew, you know, that it wasn't until I started talking about things once I was in foster care and I had a foster mom who really wanted to be here and she really cared that I got to kind of talk it out and I realized, oh, other kids don't <laughs> grow up like that, so um, you know, it's the start of trauma and, and has to live my
0: life with trauma. Right, and you, you were living in a in a constant state of fight or flight as a child because no nobody, child or adult, can reach perfection. And if you're always striving for that, that's a tremendous amount of stress. So that's just one one of the many things you've overcome. However, that was a coping mechanism which worked for you at that time in your life but it doesn't it doesn't work all the way through it life. at some point there's got to be some reconciliation and, and and from what I know about you you found you have found that um talk to our listeners about what spiritual abuse is because i, I have asked people if they know what that is and so, and most people aren't familiar with what that is what what is spiritual abuse yeah
1: absolutely this is an important topic to talk about it's i think that I'll, a lot of times, not the majority of the time where sexual abuse occurs, people do use spiritual abuse to <laughs> get them comfortable with the idea to build this trust. So people will often, that's how you hear so many stories of priests and pastors, and um, but my father constantly had Bible studies and he didn't even really go to church himself, but he he made it clear that people needed to think of him as a very honest family man, you know, almost like a Bill Cosby type, which is a bad reference. Now people know that he's not safe either, but he really did seem to have like, he wanted to have this Bill Cosby type of um, very trusting and you have to treat him with the utmost respect or, you know, you'll be in trouble. And, and so but it was spiritual abuse that he earned people's trust so i mean honor your father and mother so things will go well with you i mean that was like a threat you know but all i really knew about the bible that was taught to me was all the ways that i should be silent, don't ever disrespect them and those kinds of things and So I was a really curious kid. I really wanted to know how to please God from an early age. So I read the Bible myself at the age of eight. And I feel like, I mean, it gave me a good pure heart for wanting to truly just please God and not just to, you know, stay out of (laughs) trouble with, you know, my family, but it wasn't until again i was in foster care and i could talk to some pastors and really get their feedback on like well there's a lot of other bible verses like parents don't provoke your children to anger you know um and and all the ways like parents should treat their kids they didn't seem to teach you those verses and and it's so true they're just very manipulative about the use spiritual abuse, and it really was almost like a cult, like, going back. It's just very influential. My one brother is a missionary. Um, (laughs) We were raised in a very strict Christian environment, and it's hard to separate these things because I think that the spirit does feel good. Like, if you accept God into your life, it does change you. You don't want to evil of anyone you don't want to cause any harm to anybody Um, but at the same time you don't want to hurt so once like hormones set in and my brain was developing as a teenager um, that's when I really had trouble like as a kid I kind of breathed by those years just kind of in denial about stuff but then as a teenager I really knew the truth, and nightmares started, and I couldn't sleep, and um, it was really hard to acknowledge the truth, so I started having, like, blocked out memories that I needed to block out or an eating disorder, so I just couldn't remember those things. were were just too, too painful for me to accept sure. the truth at that time. Sure.
0: So t- tell us, let's back up to when you're a teenager and you first get removed from your parents' home. And you're put into a foster home what was going through your mind at that time tell me what was going on with you
1: yeah i mean that first day i did sleep at cps so i know that feeling of you feel homeless and you feel scared and it's that moment that i really tried to avoid all my life of just oh no i don't know where i'm gonna go it it seemed like homeless people were walking in and out i mean it's a public building And it just felt like I could go with anybody. And um, so my heart was pounding, but also I could just hear the conversations in the background when the social workers were trying to find me a home and, Hearing the rejection because nobody wanted a teen, it seems like, just like, oh, she seems really sweet. She doesn't seem like she'd get into any trouble. Like, they didn't know because I didn't have, you know, any kind of a history in foster care of
0: mm-hmm. yet.
1: So, I yeah, when they finally found someone that said yes, I mean, I didn't even care if they saw I me. Mean, it's just like they took pity on me or something. It was like, hey, at least somebody will take me in for the night. So, um, Yeah, I was really, really lucky at that first placement that I took in, but they just weren't licensed to take in a team permanently, so I still got shuffled around in the foster care system, and it still wasn't the safest environment (laughs) to be in.
0: Mm -hmm. But you got through it, and um, your healing began. Tell us about your healing from the trauma that you grew up with.
1: At what age would you say that? I mean, it's it's like a whole <laughs> timeline of um, living with trauma. I feel like there's like phases of it. I know start, a lot of people start with think, the, uh, the first phase. vet, but kids really can have trauma. Start with what?
0: You start with, the, with with the first phase of your healing. How did you get 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 into it?
1: Yeah. So when I. First, tried to heal from the eating disorder. It was very curious to me that it all stemmed to what you think of your parents, but especially your father, like your parent of the opposite sex, was really relevant to eating disorders. As I was doing this workbook and. It was like, how do you think God sees you? And I remember my answers were so identical to, well, how do you think your dad sees you? And so, again, all those years of spiritual abuse and mental abuse and and all of it is just like, oh, well, my dad didn't think I could be a Christian. He didn't think I could be saved. So I felt very spurned by God that no matter how good I wanted to be, no matter how much I wanted to be God's child, it just wasn't an option for me. God just hated me from birth. Like Esau was like what I was told even. I know that sounds awful, but that was how low I thought of myself is just that I was made to be hated and maybe even evil. Um, And so that was really helpful. Like it not only helped me to um, kick the eating disorder out, but it really helped me to have some healthier thought processes towards myself and God, who God is. And so my views of God really changed. I was, I was like an atheist for a whole year of my life when I was eighteen just because I know the feeling of you know, people trying to tell me God loves me and I just laughed, like, huh, you don't know my life story. I can guarantee you if there's a God he hates me, you know, like I have wanted to, you know, follow God all my life and it just wasn't in the stars for me, I thought, but I really, really just felt um the Holy Spirit come upon me at nineteen and Tell me this is not reflective of who God really is, that God is calling me to speak about these things because spiritual abuse is so common and it's so rarely talked about. So I really feel like spiritual abuse is really how you can get people down. I mean, people are really convinced if their parents told them they're good for nothing, that they're, you know, they're the the black sheep of the family or there's a scapegoat being blamed for all the problems right. I mean I've talked to quite a few teens like this that are just raised in abusive families whether they're in foster care or not and their self-identity is so different from how most people even see them like they're not these bad evil kids but I just know that my story isn't that unique there's others out there so that's why I really don't want to talk about it that the first step really isn't at least being purified of any kind of spiritual abuse you've been told. Like, of course, God doesn't just hate you. You have a choice. You know, you <laughs> you don't have to do bad things. You know, like you can you can follow God's calling. You can you can be loved by the Creator. You know, you don't let a human being convince you that God doesn't love you for whatever reason. There's no reason God would not love you. Well,
0: sure. I mean, spiritual abuse. You know people that that practice that will take scripture and pervert it, or they'll just tell you part of the scripture, the part that fits, whatever their desired outcome to influence you is, they will, they will pervert it. And especially if you're a child, you really don't know any different and you don't necessarily have the uh, thought process to question it at that time. But it sounds like you came full circle on that. And, and, your your year of atheism that's just part of part of your story but it was cured by the uh, by the holy spirit having a real impact on you at age 19
1: Yeah, I'm not ashamed at all of the Year of Atheism. I actually have found it really helpful, and I have quite a few atheist friends of just relating to where the thought process comes from. And um, again, I believe, like, whether people acknowledge there's a God or not, well, God exists. That's my belief. And that God loves them dearly, but, you know, maybe it's it's not their time. But I mean, everybody has their own path. I respect people's beliefs. But I definitely completely remember what it was like where I wanted to believe in God, I just didn't believe that it was true <clears throat> because it, I just got talked into, you know, God wouldn't allow these things, God would be this loving parent and protecting me and stuff. So, and um again, it's just I think really easy to turn away from God if you have a lot of hardship. As a kid, before you really have a chance to make your own choices and have a real experience with getting to know God.
0: Mhm. Mhm. So let's fast forward past uh past high school. You got you went to college, got educated and tell us about your 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 20s.
1: So I think I was really desperate for a family type of environment. I my health was not good at all. And so I got married in 19 and I'll be honest in that he kind of just rescued me is the way both of us thought um, it. He seemed like a good family man that I could study in a family type of environment. I was still really kind of afraid of people. So I never party a day of my life when I was younger. I just wanted to follow God and had a lot of healing to do. So mm-hmm. my 20s, I was completely socially isolated except for this one man <laughs> in my life. Mm-hmm. And um, so he wanted to, I think, kind of protect me like this knight kind of person and um, just take me away so nobody could ever hurt me again. But... <laughs> It led to him even taking me away from anybody I might know up north and that's how I got moved to Texas when I was in my early 20s and and so I didn't know anybody here and um I went through some serious periods of depression just based on you know friendships and he worked a lot and he isn't a person that really connects with other people um he's kind of like robotics that's what he he's like into computer programming and ar- architecture stuff so he has a very logical mind, but it wasn't um I didn't have my social and emotional needs met for all those years. I was in that relationship for fourteen years before um I really felt God calling me to this vision of running a nonprofit. <laughs> and so that was when I was thirty years old. It was really like almost like the day I turned thirty. It I felt God say, "Do random acts of kindness. Do thirty of them with strangers." And so that's where I met my very first friend from. It was just going around doing good deeds, you know, privately and stuff, not expecting friends out of it. I was just following God, mm-hmm. and um, and then you know I just found that I was pretty. I was pretty alive in the spirit, very socially awkward. I've been very socially isolated or abused all my life. I did, you know, I, I just, I felt like it was the impossible task of one day I would just know a bunch of people. People actually think of me as a bubbly, extroverted person, which is still really ironic to me. Just, wow. I mean, God can just do miracles when he calls you to something and you obey. I mean, it's just like my life changes so much on, a, like, a day-to-day basis.
0: <laughs>
1: so huh? even, like, four years ago is the start of this crazy roller coaster ride. But, I mean, I thought I wouldn't have a nonprofit until I was, like, 65 years old. That was even the vision. <laughs> I'm just like, I'm just working towards that. I'm just going to get more comfortable talking with people and public speaking. And um, But I feel so blessed that God has done so much in me to give me boldness. <laughs> to just get out of my comfort shell. That I'm, I'm already pretty a lot farther along than I thought I'd be at my age.
0: Yeah, he can do miracles. You just gotta be willing to say yes, and if you keep saying yes, he'll he'll keep doing more and more miracles. So tell us about about your nonprofit.
1: Yeah, so that's my baby. I started this two years ago, and I really did think of it as like getting married to the nonprofit. That <laughs> yeah this one for relationships is really my hope so it frees up more time than people have to dedicate to nonprofit work um i do still always have to work like another job that pays the bills and stuff but yeah so the nonprofit i started it with just one of them is this friend that i knew she's such a neat lady i knew her from play Day. we did co ops she's into education we'd go to garage sales and get like these educational toys for our kids um so i knew her really well we also would make these christian bible verse signs at her church and um and so she's just real neat we go to different churches but we were both been really respectful of the other person's beliefs to no pressure and and so yeah she was one that i wanted to choose on my board and then the other lady I didn't meet until I was doing my call center of Dell's job, and I talked to so many people every day, like hundreds, but she was um she just took the initiative to introduce me to women entrepreneurs on Facebook like she really connected with me and left me a review on Facebook of just you know that I did a really great job that was really honest and trustworthy and stuff and so she just took this initiative of being so friendly to me like nobody else and she's young and innovative and I thought she'd be a really good fit for the nonprofit too that I hope for years to come you know she'll have great innovative ideas and wisdom of where we should go with this and so they keep me on track, my board there, and um, it's just really important to me that I enjoy spending time with people that I'm very, you know, involved with, <laughs> with the nonprofit, since this is my baby, the love of my life. Um, and so I really do take so much joy. It's just such a neat nonprofit. We just tried to add love and education and encouragement and we want the success of foster kids going through the hardest times of their lives and um, it's just above all do no harm and I've just seen it do really positive things in this world so I'm proud of myself for starting it and I mean we're still pretty young in our infancy here just two years in since we got a 501c3 status it hasn't even quite been two years yet. And we've already, you know, nationwide gotten a little bit of publicity, and I also mm-hmm. really appreciate you getting me on your podcast, because that's how word spreads.
0: It is, it is. So what is the website for your nonprofit?
1: It is fundfc.org. So that's S as in Frank, U as in Ulysses, N as in Nancy, B as in David, That O as in organization, R is in Robert, C is in George.
0: Got it, and I'll put a link um, on the uh, podcast when we when we um, publish it so people can can go straight there. What is your vision for the, for your nonprofit?
1: It is just so fun being open every day. I just pray and. You know, people come in my life every day. I'm very receptive to messages on Facebook, by the way, so you can look at me on Cheryl Williams, also the Fundamentals for Foster Care website. You know, it helps if it's nonprofit-related, if you send them to the nonprofit, because I'm a sociable being, so <laughs> there's a lot of messages on my Facebook page, but the nonprofit page, I'm more, you know, more receptive to those messages, and... um I just love to be open to, you know, meeting whoever truly cares about foster kids and their success and their safety, you know, like, and at least have human trafficking decline, have abuse decline, like prevention, teaching parents better strategies, teaching Traumatized kids coping mechanism, educating those that have been traumatized, not giving up on them, thinking you know anybody nobody is a hopeless case like i I think I was the most traumatized kid that I've ever experienced might just wander off into space and I'd be lost there, and I mean, I know what it feels like to just be this empty soul that's just completely torn apart on the inside, so I just don't believe. Yeah, anybody is a hopeless cause, and they just need some love in their life. They just need someone that believes in them, and they need to find their own skill set. That's why I'm a real believer, and this nonprofit is kind of unique in that it, it's not a charity case. We send them things so that they find their skill set. They find their confidence. They find what's beautiful about themselves from the inside.
0: Well, I think that's great. And one last year I'd like for you to touch on is this. Um, you talked about human trafficking, and there 's a, a overwhelming percentage of foster kids that age out that end up being trafficked or homeless or you know just other other horrible things can you Can you talk about that a little bit about what some of the statistics are and how the odds are stacked against foster foster children?
1: You know, I don't actually even know that this is off the top of my head because it is such a private thing. We don't even know all the kids that get sex trafficked because they just kind of get sold off. You know, our children are being sold here in slavery and they kind of disappear off the map. And But I just know that these kids get kind of brainwashed, not necessarily spiritually brainwashed, but just told that they're these dirty, nasty kids that nobody would want anymore and they don't know their skill sets and such. And so I think that it's just important, like, teachers and social work, whoever might even – you don't even know sometimes who's being abused, but just that you talk to – teens or kids in a way that's very gentle that's very positive of just we're really trying to be the best in our kids and and we want them not to have the i really think it's a lot of shame and guilt that manipulates people if they didn't even do anything wrong but they feel so dirty and Mm -hmm. and let's be i mean the sex industry pays a lot of money so to try to live off of a different salary and get clean for a while you know a lot of them are drug addicts and stuff too it, it's a process and they could use a lot of support and no judgment and so i think a lot of people don't even really want to go for help because maybe at some point they're making money you know but well, yeah. it could feel you know it
0: could feel that they're so full of shame and guilt and fear that mm-hmm. they think that that nobody would want to help them and that, that that couldn't be further from the truth because what you said earlier is so true there is no lost cause there is nobody that is is not worthwhile worth worth taking our time to, to invest our time with to help them help themselves and see themselves differently than what they, they may have been told and they may believe about themselves mm-hmm. everyone is loved the same by the by our creator and um it doesn't matter where you are in life you're, you're still loved and accepted the same by, by the creator of the universe and that's that's good enough for me, but people have got to get there on on their own, and uh, we just need to keep encouraging that. So, what I would like to say is, is let's let's end it here because I think we're kind of ending on a good on a good spot. Um, Fundamentals for foster care. Go find it on Facebook to our listeners, and go find Cheryl Williams. She puts out dancing videos once a day or so, and <laughs> she'll entertain you for sure. She'll keep you uh, she'll keep you smiling. Yesterday she put something out about she's going to go give hugs to people if they're within an hour drive for her. And she actually drove out and hugged some people. So you never know what you're going to get from Cheryl, but it's always going to make you smile. So I want to thank you for being a guest on the Determined People podcast. I appreciate your openness and your transparency with your life. It's, it's, um, um, it, will, it will inspire others and we will, will continue to get the word out for fundamentals for foster care. Thank you, Cheryl.
1: So much, John. You're a good man. I was sweet. Well, we, no. I
0: try. <laughs> All right. Thanks, and, and thanks, thanks to our listeners for listening. And if you like the podcast, please give us a review. It, it helps move us up in the Apple rankings. And if you don't like the podcast, we're fine. We don't need your review. All right. I'll be back tomorrow with another one-minute inspirational message. Until then, be well.
1: God blessed.